Welcome to the F Word Foster Care. I'm your host, Colleen, and with me today is Georgia's Reunification Director, Samantha Walker. She received a Bachelor's of Arts degree in English from the University of New Orleans and a Master of Social Work degree from the Southern University at New Orleans. After college, she began her career as a Child Protective Service Investigator. In 2008, Samantha moved to Georgia and began working for the Division of Family and Children's Services as a foster care case manager. During her 12-year tender with the division, she has served in many capacities, including foster care case manager, kinship assessor, permanency supervisor, permanency administrator, and permanency program director. She currently serves as the division's reunification director. Samantha is passionate about supporting families in the home whenever possible by exhausting all reasonable efforts prior to requesting legal custody of children, providing consistent quality services to parents, along with helping families identify and creating their own formal support networks, are the cornerstones to supporting and encouraging reunification. When conditions for return are clearly established and communicated with all pertinent entities, including families, courts, relatives, and partnership parents, successful unifications for families is highly achievable. Welcome to the conversation. Are you watching, Mommy? Welcome to the F Word Foster Care, where we get real talking about and navigating the child welfare system through parents, the department, attorneys, community, and more. Welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the F Word Foster Care. I'm Colleen, and we are continuing our celebration here on our podcast for Reunification Month. And today I have the absolute pleasure of sharing this space with Georgia's own Reunification Director, Samantha Walker. Hello, Samantha. Welcome. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Colleen. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to talk about reunification with you. And for those of you who don't know what a director of reunification is, because I don't think there's many out there. Can you share with us what your job is with the division? Absolutely. So as the reunification director for um, Georgia DFACS, essentially what I do is look at trends as it relates to reunification. I partner with a lot of different folks in different areas around partnering with parents. Um, how do we get our partnership parents on board? sharing some information about reunification, sharing some data, dispelling some myths. I have an opportunity to really lift reunification in Georgia, which I think is hugely important. Um, I, I talked a little bit about raising some awareness in terms of letting folks know that the majority of children who do enter foster care, they will leave via reunification. Um, so that's a big part of it is looking at ways that we can, one, prevent children from coming into care. So if there are ways that we can provide services to families in the home without bringing children into foster care, then we absolutely want to do that. So that's first. And then secondly, for the children who do come into care, that we are very clear about those conditions that must exist in the home in order for us to return children. And by returning children home, I'm not necessarily saying that we close our case. What I'm saying is that we provide services to the family together in the home. So in a nutshell, I look at data, trends. I provide a lot of trainings and case consultations and overviews around all things reunification. I love it. Girl, you are a leader in this area of reunification and you're right. It's the main goal for child welfare um, or the family well-being system 
And I wish that we could just multiply you and put you like all over the world because you're needed (laughs) everywhere. (laughs) I think so too. You know, I was so excited when this position was created, Colleen, because I have been with defects at the time for about 10 years. And when I saw the position posted, I literally said, this is for me. I'm, I'm supposed to be doing this. And so I just felt called to do it. And I'm forever grateful for my manager at the time who saw fit to create this space, to create this position so that reunification could have some specific attention and some specific focus. Absolutely. When I first met you, I was like, wait, this makes sense. Like why? <laughs> and like, and like, why do we have so many people who surround adoption? And I was like, yeah, how did we not figure this one out before? Like, <laughs> mind blown. (laughs) So I am so excited. You have been doing some amazing work here in Georgia too. And I am just so thankful for you. Um, And you uplift parents' voices so well. I I just, I love the support that you give to families here in Georgia and in the nation because, you know, you talk nationally too, because you're one in a few, if any. (laughs) I think there's a couple of other reunification directors out there. Um, but I think it's something that's kind of a new trend and I'm excited for this. I am too. Yeah. Thank you. So what brought you into this work to begin with? That's a good question. So originally my original career path was not social work. I think most of us will say that, but that wasn't my original career plan. And so when I finished undergrad with a degree in English, I spent a year doing some volunteer work. And so I was headed to law school. I had taken the LSAT and I volunteered for CASA, court-appointed special advocates who advocate on behalf of children who are in foster care. And I also volunteered at this program called Volunteer Instructors Teaching Adults. And what I really saw was that I had an opportunity to use my voice for something positive, that I was able to impact people in a way that meant something. Um, And I was excited about it. And so I started kind of looking up social work and decided to go to school to get my MSW, which I did. And shortly after that, I moved to Georgia and began to work for DFACS as a foster care case manager. And as a foster care case manager, you know, I I loved it. I worked as a case manager, a supervisor, an administrator, and a program director in foster care. And I always felt that this was something that I was just supposed to do. And in this position specifically, what I can share is that, you know, when we talk to a lot of folks who work for DFACS or who are social workers or work in social services in some way, we hear a lot of people talk about, you know, I want to help children. I really want to help children. I want to work with children. And that's great because that's what we do. We also work with parents. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part that was missing in a sense, especially when children come into foster care. Because when kids come into foster care, there are so many things that happen. There are so many assessments that take place, court hearings, panel reviews, all sorts of things, right? And so we spend a lot of focus on that, but not necessarily what needs to happen to help support, encourage, and uplift our parents. And so I think that now, having created this space, we're spending more time talking about it and understanding really the significance of it because we can't help children if we don't help their parents. So I know I went all around that question, but 
in a nutshell, I think the people who are most successful at this are people who really have a heart for it and are compassionate about working with families. And I think that's the key word here. You know, we cannot forget about parents. We can't forget about families in our day-to-day work. Absolutely. So, so true. And we also see this cycle of children who were youth in foster care themselves. And then they were used to having some support or it being about them in foster care. And then they become parents. And it's like this whole, we, they look at them differently. And, you know, so you're right. We have to be looking at all humans as they are. We're, you know, we're all one call away. There's not, you know, not one person is safe from ever having defects call on them. You know, it can happen Absolutely. to anyone. And Absolutely. You know, and so we have to stop thinking that it's only for those who are poor or have substance abuse. And it's like, nope, there's more. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's it's I not agree. it's not just the like, you know, I've come to realize like even doing this podcast, like I have had so many people reach out to me and I was like, wow, I don't think that there's a single person who does not have any experience, whether it's themselves, their family member, their friends, or an acquaintance who has had involvement within the system. And Oh, I agree. You know, when we start to look at it like that, it's like, we like, how do we still have this stigma if none of us <laughs> have, you know, are totally free from it. But, you know, I think it, that I comes agree. with conversations just like this to just kind of work through that stigma of what this system is. And I agree with you. Yeah. A hundred percent. Find a way that we can all support one another. We're all human. <laughs> yeah. Because what you said earlier really resonated with me, Colleen, about people have a, a perception of a parent whose child is in defects custody or a parent who has some defects or child welfare involvement. Right. Because yeah. that's what we see. That's that's what's shown to us. So the media doesn't necessarily portray child welfare in the best light. And so the worst cases, you know, the parents who are in severe crisis, that's what we see often. That, yes. That's what we see. That's what we're shown. And I always tell people that that's not representative of most of our families. And so even children who come into foster care, the percentage of children who come into foster care via extreme physical abuse is 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the majority of our families aren't dealing with that. They aren't. And even when we hear or we see the happy stories, the happy stories are the kids who've been adopted. Yes. Um, we, we rarely see, hey, this child, these children have returned home. We've been able to support a family who was having a difficult time for whatever reason, because we're the Department of family and children's services. So we've supported the family and look at how this has been a success. Let's celebrate that because that's what happens most often. Every month, there are hundreds of kids who return home. So how can we focus on that? How can we, you know, lift up the, the, our voices to, to talk about that? And I think family first, the, the family first act is really helping us also understand that we can help parents and children without necessarily removing children from their homes. That's extremely traumatic, not only for children, but also for their parents. 
Absolutely. I think the more that we can get that stigma of that anybody who has defects called in them must have done something really horrific and they should have their children Mm -hmm. removed and never see them again. Like (laughs) we have to stop that thinking. (laughs) Absolutely. That is not what's good for families. And, you know, termination of parental rights is considered the civil death penalty. And when you hear death penalty, you think really horrific crimes, but that's what it has been called that termination of parental rights has been called the civil death penalty because it is severing the ties and the connection from parents and children. And that is what starts the process for adoption. Like it doesn't start with this joyful thing of we saved Mm -hmm. this child from an awful place. It's like, it started from the ultimate cutoff of severing a tie between a parent and a child. And you know, yeah. It, it, you know. it is. I remember way back when, olden days, even before I moved to Georgia, when I worked in another state where, um, you know, if we were right, then that's called a goodbye visit. And when I think about that now, I cringe mm-hmm. because even if, you know, we know that all parents will not reunify, that yeah. won't happen. But if it doesn't, that doesn't mean that even if we've had to sever the legal relationship, which I mean, yeah, we can have some more dialogue about that. But (laughs) even if we've had to sever the legal relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean that we sever the relationship as a whole. And so there there are still times where children are still connected to their families, even post termination of parental rights and even adoption. And honestly, unless there is some sort of safety reason, I think that's the absolute right thing to do. It's the I, right I do too. Uh, yeah. And I think that the more that we have these awesome partnerships between resource parents and parents, uh-huh. I think the more we're able to have these post open adoptions. And, yes. you know, that's, I, I've seen that that's what makes it easier and it flows because it's already what they're doing. And uh-huh. the ones that didn't have that before, there's a lot more hesitancy on opening that door to that relationship. Yes. Yes. You know, and the nail on the head. Yes. And a lot of these kids are still like visiting with their parents all the way up until then. And it's like, oh, yeah. And, right. And-, and we just stop it and say, hey, tomorrow, that's it. Yep. This, yeah. I mean, think about that. I can't I can think of a single person who thinks when you stop to think about that, thinks that that's the right thing to do mm-hmm. because it isn't. And as a mom, that's something that I think about. Even when sometimes we stigmatize parents, I always, and I know they say, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't personalize it. But how, how can you not? We're people working with people. So mm-hmm. how can you not do that? How can you not be compassionate towards another person. And so I think about that often. How would I want to be treated mm-hmm. if I was going through a difficult time? Um, would I want to be in contact with a person who's caring for my son? I absolutely would. Would I want to be penalized for calling and wanting to talk to him every day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So those those are some things, you know, that, that we think about as we move forward is making sure that we're treating everybody with, with compassion and with full disclosure, that we're very clear about what needs to happen, what you can expect if, when your child comes into foster care, if your child comes into foster care, what you can expect, what the role of the case manager is, and all of these different people who are working 
with this family because it really go, it goes beyond just the Department of Family and Children's Services. Absolutely. And I think that's something too that people who are not really enmeshed in the system sometimes don't understand mm-hmm. that it's beyond just the case manager on the case and the supervisor and all the defect staff. Yeah, there's a lot of hands in the cookie jars. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I want to take some of them out, but <laughs> <laughs> right, it can get overwhelming. And what's your role again? And you're the what? And you're okay. Yeah. Yes. It's a lot. Well, and that's a lot of people that are in such an intimate part of someone's life, too. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it is just a bunch of strangers that are in your life where you're just like this is my most vulnerable moments. This is the most intimate thing of my family that's ever happened. I think that we're doing a much better job at helping to support families on their journey. And, you know, the more parents know and the more families and children know what's expected, what's happening, the less confusion, the less frustration there's going to be, the easier it is for them to start to accept their services and what's there. And, Mm -hmm. You know, and that just kind of brings them to reunification faster, safer, you know, families thrive better that way. You know, I don't think that we can really, truly have a timeline on reunification because everyone's personal growth is on its own timeline. But I also don't think that it's reasonable to say like, oh, well, we have to look at it for like, I know that there was some that was going out to the nation's capital of like trying to extend the time that children are in care because they believe that Mm -hmm. that was going to make reunification stronger. And I'm like, that's not always the case. I think it really comes down to how are we supporting our families? That's Mm -hmm. what we have to focus on first, not these timelines because time doesn't always change it. What changes Mm -hmm. it is going to be our support and our understanding and, you know, opening up new ways of doing things. You know, Mm -hmm. that's how we're going to change how reunification works. You know, what is that definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. We can't keep doing that. You know, we have to figure out if something's not working, what's going on, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So this month is reunification month, which is super, super exciting. I had to put up a banner on my wall and everything. Yes. I was just like, yes, this is my favorite month ever. <laughs> <laughs> I love reunification month. It is so great. And I love that it's catching on more and more because I always was like, why is there like months to like celebrate adoption and things like that? Like I want to be celebrated, you know, like <laughs> Of course. My family deserves it's once again, it's like put the families in those little boxes and like, we're not going to think of you and we're not going to, you know, elevate you. But now we're not doing that. Now we are supporting, we are elevating, we are celebrating. And I love it. And now we have even more states and more communities that are jumping in. I wish that we were not still dealing with COVID that we could like really have these community celebrations and oh, me um, too. those are so impactful oh I've always wanted to go to one I was like <laughs> I think I'm just gonna host one next year I know, um, next year no we are definitely I'm I'm looking forward to it because the first one that we did in 2019 it was amazing well really we, we did several I think we did 14 throughout the state wow um it they were amazing they were amazing they were amazing 
just to hear people share their stories. And what's so important is, you know, like we talked about earlier, looking at parents as people, you know, who have been successful, who've overcome some obstacles and who are able to share their story with us and also help other parents in the process, which I think is key. Absolutely. I, I think that's, that's hugely important for, you know, all of our stakeholders and defects to understand this is our work. And even though, you know, children are going home every day, we're paying some particular focus on it during this month. Let's really pay attention to it and see if there are some areas, areas in our practice that we can improve. What can we do differently that will be most impactful? Should we focus some more on post-reunification support? Do we need to spend some additional time talking about those conditions for return so that once, we, once we're able to control the safety threat, then we can reunify families? So I, I really like that you know, we just spend some time and, and focus on that and celebrate that because it's a huge celebration. So I always look forward to it and I, I'm excited about it growing each year. A hundred percent. I always kind of, I've thought of it kind of like NICU, like how you have like the NICU graduates and like, like NICU reunions, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. our, our families are in their little incubators when they're in child welfare and we're getting supports. We're getting what we need to be able to thrive and to parent on our own. And then we graduate from child welfare and now we get to celebrate it. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and to reconnect with others that are just like you and to connect with and to share stories and, you know, to just celebrate it and uplift it is just like phenomenal. So I've really enjoyed it this month. I, this is my first time really being like really in depth with like what's going on statewide for reunification. And it has been so amazing and uplifting to see the celebration and not only to see like, you know, sometimes we heard reunification years ago and it was like, all the foster parents and the case managers who supported reunification were all celebrated, mm-hmm. but the parents still weren't. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But you know, Colleen, your voice and your participation has been so key. It has been. And I know I say this all the time, but I'm going to say it today again, that it, it, we could not, we cannot move this work forward without your voice. It's been so important. It's been so phenomenal and so inspiring to all of us that I really, it, it just, it, it wouldn't have the same impact. It just wouldn't, it wouldn't. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that you're willing and able and want to do this. That means a lot. That means a lot. Thank you, know, you, you can so say, much. well, you know what? No, I'm over this, I'm done. <laughs> but. That, that really means a lot, not only to us, but also to other parents, stakeholders, courts, resource parents, partnership parents, to hear you, a parent. I can talk all day. I love that. I love talking about reunification because I love people. I love to see families thrive, but your conversation and your perspective and your passion is what is needed and what fuels us moving forward and what really makes us stop and take a look at our work and our agency as a whole to make sure that, you know, we, we can talk about this, we can celebrate reunification, 
Are, but are we as an agency creating a culture that supports it? What are our values around reunification? That's important for us to remember. And so it's always good to hear from parents. It's always good to hear from you to talk about that because we can't get lost in that. We can't get lost. We have to make sure that those values are up front and center. Thank you so much. Way to make me almost cry. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate and I appreciate the opportunities to be able to elevate not only my voice, but other parents as well. And um, so thank you so much for that, those opportunities. And, you you know, in talking about reunification stories, they are tough to find. I spent months just searching for um, reunification stories on like YouTube and podcast. That's kind of why I started my podcast was like, I kept looking up and I was listening to all these foster care podcasts. And I was like, Oh, foster parent, foster parent, (laughs) foster parent, foster parent, defects, foster parent. I was like, huh, where's the parents? (laughs) Yeah. And, and it was, it was people speaking for the parents and it was driving me crazy. And I know it was. It was like, this is what this parent felt like, you know, and I've had these children and this is what their mm-hmm. parents were like, and this is what their parent felt. And I was like, no, no, you can't say that. Like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's, it's been awesome. But like during that time, I was like, I want to find where parents are sharing their reunification. And so I look up on like YouTube and I'm finding like foster parents talking about how they help to reunify families. And then it's like military you know, family members coming home to reunify or, you know, no, that's true. These types of things. And I was like, no, where's the families? Or then when the families are on there, it's that they have their second to the foster parent who's talking or their second to the case manager who's being interviewed. It's never truly like them. And Mm -hmm. that's one thing another PAC member and I are about to change is we're about to start some really awesome videos that are going to be able to be available, at least in our state, for any stakeholder to be able to go on and to hear family stories and to hear now, I'm excited parent about that. perspective. I'm so excited. Uh, <laughs> I am like, finally, I've always wanted to do one. Um, and I kept trying to get my brother to do it because he is really big in film and photography and he like never got back to me. So <laughs> <laughs> So that's okay. I'm going to do it another way. Um, but. Yes. I'm excited about this. You're right. I mean, I do a lot of research. I'm always looking up reunification data, trends. What can we do? How can we support? Yes. And so you're right. That's what I see often. We, we see that a lot. Yeah. You've I popped up a few first. times on YouTube, which has been really cool. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Talking about reunification and things like that is, it, it was really cool. But, um, <laughs> So right, yeah. like I can do it. I can do it. Right. But it's different. So it's yeah. So that's why I, there, there were certain things where I said, I can't I can't do this by myself. I can't share my perspective another time without a parent. I just can't. I just yeah. can't. And so, yeah, it, it's it's beyond important and it's just needed. It absolutely. Is, it's integral. It's, yeah, it's absolutely. Needed. Yeah. And I de- and I have been so shocked, like, a year later, like I have been searching and searching and searching and I haven't had as many episodes because I don't have as many voices that want to come on and share. And now recently I've just have had like a slew of parents like contact me and I was like, yes, like yes. this is it. <laughs> and so like, 
after your episode, I have two more episodes for this month before it ends to celebrate reunification. I'm super excited about, and, you know, and I was like, wow, like I'm, this is overwhelming that parents are finally like, yes, I want to speak. And yes. I'm loving it. It's, it's so phenomenal. Cause I, like I said, I've been spending almost like the last eight months going like parents, parents, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. And that parent, that focus group, the family first focus group a couple of weeks back. Yeah. You guys did such an amazing job. And I, I was so happy to even be a part of that, just to listen. That's all I wanted to do was listen. It was oh, phenomenal. It was, it was. And of course I always take something back. When, when I hear parents speak, I always take something back to see, you know, how I can improve my delivery, you know, service delivery, you know, just talking with parents, talking with staff, talking with stakeholders, spreading awareness. So I think that's, that's a huge part too, Colleen, is just getting more exposure, making yes. sure that this stays on the forefront, not just in June, mm-hmm. right? Every month, making sure yes. that this is something that we pay particular attention to all the time that we're giving it the focus that it deserves because it absolutely does deserve them. For sure. And I love like how parents too will be like, they're very hesitant to talk because I was, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, mm-hmm. when I was first asked to like talk to anybody from the division, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't think they want to hear what I have to say. Like, <laughs> cause I, do. I am not going to sugarcoat it in. <laughs> Yeah, it may sting, right? Yeah. But we've got to hear it. We got to put, we got to have, have our thick skin. Uh-huh. We got to take it. Yeah. And then I'm like, but you know what? I've had some really awful things said to me during my case from the division. So <laughs> I was oh, like, I, I think that they can listen for just a second. Like, <laughs> but no, it, it has been. Everybody has been very open and it's like not just taking in what we're saying, but putting it into action. Like, yes, we're like, oh, y'all, you probably shouldn't say that. They're like, oh, okay. What should we say instead? <laughs> like, you know, yes, I love yeah. that. I love that people are open to what we have to say, but also like really take that into consideration and it put it into action and respect that is like so amazing. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to talk and everyone's going to go, mm-hmm, okay. And not <laughs> do anything, <laughs> but that hasn't been in it and has, it has shifted and changed even my perspective of the child welfare system too, and of the division by being able to be in those conversations too. But what you said just now was so important too, Colleen, when you said, you know, having those hard conversations, because when you think of, you know, celebrations, you know, you want to think about all the positive things that yes, this has happened. And sometimes you need to hear this didn't feel so good. Mm-hmm. This, this, so let's look at this again. So we, we do need to hear those things, you know? Um, I, I think that's important too, is to be able to create that safe space for you to be honest and transparent and vulnerable to say some things worked well, but there were some things that did not. Yeah. That did not. Mm-hmm. And so not that, you know, we're saying, hey, defects, you guys are horrible. Rather, these are some things that would really impact the way that you service parents, interact with parents, engage parents, inspire parents, uplift parents, all of that good stuff. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's important. We can't forget about those things. We do some things right, but there are some things we absolutely don't. So, Well, and it's been really good to be able to see like that everybody 
understands that there are times when children need to come into care, that we understand there are times when rights need to be terminated. And so it's almost like we've always thought as parents, like no defects doesn't want us to reunify. They're against us. Uh They're all, you know, Uh and then Uh it's almost like the department kind of sees like, oh, well, the parents don't think that their children should ever be removed. And it's like, but no, we all think probably the same thing. (laughs) Uh We just never discuss it and we never talk. And so I love that we are now bringing parents to the table and, like these parent voices. And I think it had to do with the children's bureau a lot too, of just the positive encouragement and support to hear parents' voices. I agree. Has encouraged everyone to kind of like take a step back and go, all right, this makes sense. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I mean, it, it does. And even now just in normal conversation and sometimes depending on what's going on, when people ask what I do, I'm like, okay, so this is going to take about an hour. They're going to have a a million questions, right? And they do. And so it's always good, though, because I always feel like I'm educating someone, like someone is walking away with something that they didn't know before, that their, you know, perception of defects and foster care is not what it is at all. And, you know, I find myself educating people a lot outside of work. Oh yeah. I mean, I've, I've even been in a bar and had everyone just like stop what they are doing and overhear a conversation I'm having with someone and they're like, wow, I didn't know oh, that. And, oh. and then it's like the bartender's like, oh my gosh, no, please tell me more. And you know, yeah. before you know it, you have all these people who are just talking about child welfare. It's like educating everybody. It's crazy. I mean, I, I remember I was at, um, a conference, a national conference and, I took my very first taxi ride. Well, actually it was an Uber, but it was my first one by myself. (laughs) And um, I get into the car and he's like, well, what brought you here? And I was like, oh, I'm here for a child welfare conference. And he's like, oh my gosh, I just had someone earlier this morning. He's here for that. And she was telling me blah, 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 blah. And like all these statistics. And I didn't realize all this. And I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. He goes, do you know her? And I said, well, I, I don't know who you're talking about. She, he goes, she has red hair and come to find out it was the person I work with. Yep. And I was like, how about that? Is the person I work with. And so I was like, wow, I don't have to educate. But he ha- he was so excited to continue a conversation about child welfare. And he goes, oh, I've already have had people. Yeah. And he had people that already came into his car and he was like telling them about it. And I, I love like, it. It always starts with just a conversation and that's all it takes. And it just kind of can catch off with a wildfire. And, you know, and that's what I'm excited about. You know, reunification is an awesome opportunity to really elevate that. I love that, you know, um, the division's been putting things up on their social media about it and um, sharing, you know, different reunification heroes and things. And I think that's, it's so amazing and it's stuff that needs to be, out there. And I'm excited that there's so many more people who aren't in the system who gets to see that and gets to celebrate with others too, which is great. Yeah. So I guess we have to also talk about what is the actual legal definition of reunification? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Let's talk about that. So reunification is um, just, as you said, it's a legal term and it's the return of children back to their primary caregiver, which could be a parent, Um, If they were with um, an 
aunt or fictive kin, uncle, grandparent. It's the return of custody to that person following an episode in foster care. And reunification also includes um, returning children or children going to a non-custodial parent. So that's what reunification is. So when children come into foster care, there are permanency goals. And so the permanency goals are reunification, guardianship, adoption. Now live with fitting, fit and willing relative is a permanency goal, but as defined by um, ASPA, the Adoptions and Safe Families Act of 1997, but Georgia no longer considers live with fit and willing relative a permanency goal as of 2014. And then the last one is APLA, which is another permanent plan living arrangement. And it's essentially children who will exit the foster care system. I hate to use the word age out, but mm -hmm. age out of foster care at age 18. Um, and you can't even select that permanency goal for a child unless he or she is at least 16. And so, um, yeah, so when children come into foster care, there automatically needs to be a plan of how they're gonna exit because foster care is not intended to be long-term. Um, I can tell you that most of the children who come into care originally start out with a permanency goal of reunification. Sometimes it's concurrent, meaning that you know, the agency is working two plans at the same time. Usually it's reunification and adoption or reunification and guardianship. But the overwhelming majority of children who come into care will come into care with the permanency goal of reunification. Yes. Mine was actually concurrent from the okay. very beginning. <laughs> I told wow. you they really thought I was an awful person. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but times have changed. I feel like that was almost like a thing that it was just on everyone's case because that's what I was told was everyone's on concurrent all the time. And I was like, okay. no, I, I believe that, that I, there was a time that all children who came into care did have a concurrent permanency goal. And I think there are some states who may still do that. And yeah, so we, we have a concurrent planning assessment guide that sort of helps us kind of make an assessment of whether or not this is appropriate. And also for all the listeners out there that the permanency goal has to be approved and adopted by the court. Yes. So that's something too, that's important for folks to understand the role that the courts play also in child welfare and permanency and reunification and all of those things. Oh yeah. yeah. They play a huge role. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. They, they, <laughs> they play, everybody in that field plays a big role. <laughs> yeah. For so, sure. Yeah. Like I said, lots of hands in a tiny cookie jar. Um. <laughs> lots of hands. Yeah. And you know, and it can be overwhelming because as a new case manager, I was overwhelmed. I was like, okay, there's a CASA, there's a guardian ad litem, and then there's a parent attorney. Um, then also there's this court advocate, and then there's this person. And the, yeah, yeah, it's a lot. It is. It's a lot of different people with a lot of different perspectives, which is important for us as an agency, as DFACs, to be very clear about our testimony. Mm hmm about the safety threat, which warranted out-of-home care. You know, we talk about, you know, we, we've been spending a lot more time talking about conditions for return. So essentially, when we make a decision that the child's safety can only be assured via foster care, and I'm going to put this out here too, that foster care is a safety intervention. It's a response to safety. So what that means is that 
we have assessed this family and have determined that we could not safely maintain the child in the home with an in-home safety plan, nor could we exercise other out-of-home options that did not involve foster care. So that's another thing too. I know, you know, we're running out of time a little bit, but there are a couple of options before jumping straight to foster care. So that's important to know also. And so that once we have selected foster care, which is the most intrusive thing that we can do as an agency with a family. Once we do that, then we need to be clear with everybody involved why we have to do that, why in-home safety plan didn't work, and what needs to happen in order for us to move back towards an in-home safety plan. So, you know, that's that's been huge. And I think that's a huge part of our work in reunification and in permanency. Because a lot of times when people are working in foster care and permanency, we hear a lot about case plans, services, parenting classes, therapy, you know, not to minimize those things, but to make sure that we are very clear on the safety issue that warranted out-of-home care and what we're doing as an agency to address that safety threat in order to, you know, return the child home or the children home. Yes. And one of the things I think has a big impact on reunification too is family time. And I know that that is something that you are really big on. So am I, um, you uh, know, yes, and I'm huge on family time. Yes. <laughs> and I know like for Georgia, so we have legislation that um, visitation is presumed um, to be uh, unsupervised unless mm-hmm. the court directs otherwise. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, I've never seen the court's not do that. (laughs) It's usually it goes immediately to supervised and limited. And so I still think we have some growing to do there. Um, We do. We do. I will agree on that. So, I mean, it's there. We, we should use it (laughs) Um, (laughs) or use it a little bit faster. Um, But, you know, family time, I think I love, love, love that we are using terms like family time instead of visitation, because I was like, why am I, why is it called visiting my children? Like they're my children. Yes. You know, that that's so important. And I know we, we have talked about this a million times because I think that's one of the hugest indicators to reunification is that especially when we have younger children who don't have the cell phones, who aren't on Skype and social media and things like that, where they may be able to make contact with their parents. And so it's all really up to the discretion of defects and, you know, placement providers So as often as possible, we should be providing parents with an opportunity to parent while their children are in out-of-home care. And so we can't very well do that in supervised office visits. You know, those are not really conducive to real family time. Yes. So if at all possible, you know, visits and family time, right? Family time, not visits, should be taking place in in the parents' home. Yeah. And I know that that's, that's a huge thing too, but how are we assessing the safety of that home? Because it wasn't safe originally, which is why we couldn't implement the in-home safety plan. So what are we doing now to assess the safety of that home? And so like you mentioned, the law does state that there's a presumption that these visits are unsupervised. Often it doesn't happen, but we should be addressing that at every court hearing. Why can't we move to unsupervised visits at least? So let's talk about why you know, we can't, while we continue to need supervised visits, what is the safety threat? So it really calls on us in permanency to be very, very clear, very clear about 
the safety issue that's causing this child not to be in their home. Yes. And I, I love that you are a big um, advocate to remind people that family time should not be used as a reward or as a punishment. And oh yeah, that is such a key thing. The punishment part is bigger than anything. And (laughs) it's like, oh, well, the parent failed this drug screen. Well, were they high at their family time? No. Okay. Uh, (laughs) So careful. We have to be very careful about that. And also when, when children come back from seeing their parents. Yes. How do we normalize some of those behaviors, some of those feelings that they might be feeling? Because, you know, these are children. These are little people. These are little people who have feelings just like everybody else. And they don't always express their feelings in the way that I might as an adult to say, you know, I'm feeling anxious. I don't know when I'm going to go home. And it makes me feel nervous because Mm -hmm. I'm sad when I see my mom because I know I'm not going to go home to her. And that makes me sad. So because I'm sad, I'm eating more or I'm in my room and I don't want to be bothered with anybody. I can say that as an adult, my six year old can't say that, you know, and I think he's a pretty smart little guy, but he's unable to articulate himself in that way. So I, I can't say as a caregiver, you know, Princeton, you know, he's just really been withdrawn following this. I don't really think it's good for his mental health. Yep. And instead, we really need to focus on, okay, where are we in terms of reunification? Because that's always my question. Let's talk about where we are and what still needs to happen, which is something that needs to be addressed every time we visit our parents, every time. Yeah. We, all, all the time. And not just the, the case plan. Now, that's important. I'm not minimizing that. Not just that. But why does this child continue to need to be in foster care? So not only addressing that with a parent, but also making sure that that's addressed at every court hearing. Why does this child continue to be dependent? Yes, absolutely. And I think that one thing that helps us to really be able to get kids to reunify is in-home family time. And I, I, I think that as a whole, we're starting to steer away from this. Um, and we're seeing more and more family times happening within the home. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it's been even in the past, like parents have even been a little iffy. I mean, even I was a little iffy about my yeah. kids coming over for our weekends when we were transitioning to reunification. But it was because I was being told that this whole time, the reason why my kids couldn't come to my home was because it would be too traumatic for them to have to leave the home. And so then it made it really scary when it was time to have them come back into the home. It had been a year since they'd been in my house and they, you know, were confused where their rooms were. They didn't know the dog's name and everything was just kind of weird. And, but then after that, they left visitation easier. My husband and I handled separating from them easier. They, we had an easier time, like reconnecting when our family time started, you know, instead of like being in the community, it was just always like walking on pins and needles. It was always unnatural. It didn't feel right. You're in a public setting. You've got all of these strangers who are around who also can hear anything that's being said. They see that there's someone sitting there staring at you and writing stuff down. And it's just, 
it, I always felt like I was putting, being put out for everybody to just look at. And it was mm. so uncomfortable. And, you know, I just, I didn't, yeah. like it. until we could have family supervised, then it was like, okay, like at least it's family. We don't have someone mm-hmm. around almost with a clipboard or someone that's like, yeah. no, you can't say that. You can't do that. Like, I, I just felt like my business wasn't all out there for everybody to see and be part of. But having mm-hmm. my kids in the house, it was like, this is, this is what is normal. This is what our family feels like. And yeah. I found myself relaxing around my kids because up until then I was, I was so closed off. I didn't, it was harder for me to show affection to them and mm. everything because it did, it felt so unnatural. And, you know, I think in-home family time really, really can give us a clear understanding of the needs of a family. And, I agree. you know, parents are more likely to be more open when they're in their home and they're, we want to keep working on these families, this parenting skills. We can't tell parents how to bathe children. We can't tell parents how to make food or whatever the case may be, and then expect them to be able to act it. You know, everyone learns in different ways. And I think that it's important for us to make sure that we're having these in-home family times because my home physically was safe. There was absolutely no reason why my children could not come to my home. You know, I think as long as the home is sound and safe, let them visit. (laughs) Uh Absolutely. I agree with that. So I think that you know, family time plays a huge, huge role in reunification. And I think true meaningful contact between parents and children, you know, if a parent's having to constantly visit their child at McDonald's for over a year, they're going to be less likely to really want to work their case plan and their services Uh anyway, you know, that having that disconnect from your children makes it harder for you to want to work towards it. Yes. So I think, you know, we also have a lot of stakeholders that are also involved in this that I think we all have to come to the table and understand the importance of family time and the impact that it has on a family. Oh, I think so too, because it, it goes beyond our required visits because our policy, you know, gives us some outlines, you know, this, this guide of what's appropriate and minimum standards um, and minimum standards. We don't have to go by that. So as much as we can, we need to open up all lines of communication. And I think if the pandemic has taught us nothing else, it's taught us that there are ways for all of us to keep in touch. That's one thing. And so even outside of family time in person and at at home, which should be happening very frequently, what other opportunities are we providing our parents? You know, are we, you know, what happens when a child does something well at school and they just want to call their mom or they want to call their dad? Are we creating that space for them to be able to do so? Um, and things like that, I think those are things that, you know, we need to be mindful of and that we're not just, it's your birthday, you get to have a visit, that this is just normal and that our, our foster caregivers, resource parents, partnership parents, because I like the theme, I think it was last year for Foster Care Month, that foster care is not a substitute parents yes that it's a support and I think that was so so important for us to just highlight often that yes. you're not taking the place of this child's parent you're supporting the parent and the child during this time and so 
that's key as well, that their, their understanding of that and that they normalize that they are clear on their role. That's why the name was changed, right? It's yeah. a partnership parent, it's a partner. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I think that's something to, to consider. Absolutely. I'm, I just love how there's just been such, I feel like it's been a very quick, fast growing support around families and around reunification over the last like year or two, um, more than ever before. And I do too. I just, that me, I hope that we keep going like this and we keep the momentum going because that just means that it's just going to be even better for our families. I'm just excited. And it's better for everyone in the system. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't love to celebrate reunification. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, that's how I feel too. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, having the, the leadership support and agency culture that supports reunification in families is important. And I'm, I'm happy and thankful to say that, and even honored to be able to do this work every day, honestly. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like work. It just feels like it's something that I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm so thankful that I'm, I'm able to do that. I'm able to meet these amazing people who always inspire me and challenge and encourage me. So I just feel thankful to be able to do this. I kind of have said it better myself. This is not what I ever thought I'd be doing in my life. <laughs> but, but dang it, now I'm like, oh, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. <laughs> I was born for this. <laughs> and, and it has, it is just, it doesn't feel like work. And, you know, I have to remind myself to find hobbies that does not have to do with child welfare. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> because it, it does bring me joy. Sometimes it brings me down, but you know, I have yeah. to remind myself, I can't constantly surround myself, but it's like, this is what I was put here on earth for. I've always tried to figure it out. I tried to become a nurse and God was like, ha ha ha, ha no. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, dang it. And once I like let go and I was like, all right, I'm not going to keep trying to put you know, the square peg in a round hole, I just let it happen organically. And then I was like, wow, like this feels amazing. This Mm -hmm. is genuinely like living a joyful life. And I'm so thankful to have it. And, you know, I I'm thankful for this podcast too, and just to have opportunities to uplift other people's voices and to bring conversations around to show all areas of the child welfare system and what we all do and how we can all support families and to just break that stigma and that barrier that's there. And, you know, cause I think the community can be a huge part in supporting families. You know, I see churches now yes. starting to say, come over here for family time. If you can't go into your home, we have a kitchen, yes. we have this, we have that. Like these oh, are the I things that we need. We need these resources mm-hmm. for families that are in the system. And the more that we get that stigma to go away and we start leveling the playing fields, the more I think we're all going to be able to rally around families the way that they need to have it and the support. So I'm excited for this growth mm-hmm. of reunification and Georgia could not be going as well as they are without you. So thank you for all of your oh, hard thank work. thank you, Colleen. That means a lot. Thank you so much. I have loved getting to know you and excited. And I just, I love what you do. And I don't know how you do it all, but you're like everywhere. And like, <laughs> 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 I'm like, does that, does that woman ever stop? Like, <laughs> 
there she is again. <laughs> she is like everywhere. Like I said, we just, we need a million of you, but like, <laughs> no, I'm so excited about this though, that this is, it's, this is growing. So yes. my team of one is growing, but I will say I'm so thankful because I partner with so many other people in the agency. And I'm so thankful for them. I'm so thankful for my partners in safety and, and foster parent recruitment, foster care recruitment, and even adoptions, you know, all of my kinship. I feel so thankful to be able to work with them because they have been so helpful to me um, in really understanding that reunification is really the work of everyone and seeing yes. how it fits into this part and how it fits into here and how it goes there. And so I, I just feel very honored to be able to work with them because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm still just me now. Yeah. Just me. But I'm looking forward to it expanding and growing. And so, but thank you for allowing me this time. I mean, Colleen, I think you're doing an amazing job. And I just love what you're doing with your voice and this platform. And I think we're just going to continue to see amazing things, not only in the state, but nationwide, you know, based on the work that you have done and are continuing to do. So Thank you for creating the space and thank you for allowing me this time to talk today. I mean, I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming on and helping me to raise awareness of reunification and celebrate it and educate. And I am just like, I'm just so thankful for your conversation today and excited for everyone who will hear this. And I know that it's going to shift people and I'm excited for that. And, um, excited for growth and reunification and cannot wait for next year when we can all be out celebrating reunification. Oh, I know. Oh, it's going to be the best. I already have all these plans. And so, yes, I can't wait. I am so excited. Well, thanks again, Samantha, for joining me. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. I love you, Fitzy. I love you, mommy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>